you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John and chapter 6. Long chapter. Long chapter, chapter 6. And we are coming to the end today. And as you turn there, I want you to think about this. Would you say you are fully devoted to following Jesus Christ? If someone asked you, if you were fully devoted to following Jesus Christ, would you be able to say truthfully, yes, I'm fully devoted to following Jesus, no matter what? I would ask that even if you looked around and saw many walking away from the faith, walking away from Christ and a life devoted to following Jesus, would you still follow him? Would you still follow him no matter what? What about if your family and those closest to you, what if your family and friends today said that they could not fully devote themselves to following Jesus and decided to walk away from faith in the Lord? Would you leave him too? Or would you remain with Christ? Would you continue to walk by faith in Christ? I want you to think about that. That's just the kind of question that Jesus asks of his followers in the text that we're going to look at this morning that closes chapter 6 of John's Gospel. So follow along in your Bible as I read John chapter 6, beginning in verse 67 to the end of the chapter. John chapter 6, verse 67. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And verse 70 says, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Last week in verse 66, after Jesus gave challenging words, challenging words, they were were direct words, challenging words of truth about who he is to those who were seeking him out, we heard this. Back in verse 66, you can back up and look at that. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Remember that when uh, the Apostle John speaks of disciples here in verse 66, it's, uh, we, could, we could say it's kind of in a generic sense, disciples, those those who were going his way, who, those who were kind of following him around. He's speaking of people who were following Jesus around. They were listening to his teaching. Uh, they were enjoying uh, his miracles especially. They were, there were many who were uh, following Jesus wherever he went, and they, they kind of liked some of what he said. But when it came to his words, they began to have a problem. They especially liked the miracle, like the one at the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. Uh, but, but when he spoke truth to them, and he challenged them with the truth of the word, some flinched, some reacted, some didn't like what they were hearing. Some had a problem. What was the problem? 
The problem was that Jesus had called himself the living bread, saying in verses 55 and 56, and you can uh, draw your finger back to those verses for a moment, and look at that, where he says in verses 55 and 56 that his, he, uh, that his flesh was true food and that his blood true drink. Now what Jesus was telling them was that to be his follower would require a wholehearted devotion to him. They would need to give him wholehearted faith. Faith from the bottom of their hearts. The kind of faith that that draws a believer to say, I'm devoted to following Jesus with my whole life. With every area of my life. With every part of my life. But they took offense at what they heard. They took offense at his words, taking him literally when they heard, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. They didn't hear, they didn't want to hear that he was talking about spiritual matters. These people also didn't like what Jesus was saying when in verse 58, look at that again in verse 58, when he said of himself, this is the bread that came down from, a, uh, from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And when he talks about feeding on this bread, he's talking about full-hearted devotion to believing in Jesus Christ and following him. The simple truth of what Jesus was saying here is the same truth we're going to see when we get to John chapter 14 and verse 6. And at the pace we're going, John chapter 14 is could be a year away. We don't know, right? We don't know. But listen to John 14, 6, that, that Jesus is the way. You know this, don't you? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And you know what? Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through him. It's essentially the same truth. That What he's, what he's telling them now in chapter 6, he's, he's going to re, uh, say it in chapter 14. This is essentially what Jesus is teaching them, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through faith in him. That's what they really had a problem with. And so when in verse 60, it says the people complained, saying, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? What they were really saying was, uh, wasn't so much that they didn't understand, like, well, this is hard to understand, what they were saying was, this is hard to believe. This is hard to take to heart. This is hard to take. We don't, we don't want to hear this. We don't want to believe this. And that's the trouble for many people still today. When the truth of the gospel is preached, there will be people who believe it and who believe it wholeheartedly. And yet there will also be many people who don't want to believe it, who will reject it. Charles Spurgeon says of this passage that the preaching of the doctrines of truth, the preaching of the gospel is, in itself, a means of dividing the true followers of Christ from those who are only his disciples in name 
And wherever there is a faithful, Christ-like ministry, you will find many going away from it for the very same reasons that those nominal disciples went away from Christ. And that's true. That's very true. I've been in pastoral ministry for, I'm losing track, a little over 22 years, I think. Um, I grew up in the church as a youngster. My dad was a pastor up until about three years ago or so uh, when he retired at 84 from the pastoral ministry. Um, and so I've grown up seeing the church, and we've been in many churches when I was a youngster. My dad would take a small struggling church as their pastor. He was a school teacher also, so he would teach for a living, but he would pastor a church because he had a heart for the church, and he had a heart for small struggling churches who needed a pastor, but they couldn't afford one, and so he would be their pastor. And he helped a lot of little struggling churches, and some of those have blossomed and, and flourished over the years, uh, helped by part of his ministry. And so going all the way back to my childhood and up through my adult years and through the, uh, through the ministry that I've experienced, this is true, what Spurgeon says, that the gospel will, in some ways, drive people away from the church because there will be people who say, I do not want to believe. And they will leave. And that's hard for us, isn't it? It's hard for me as a pastor to see people come and maybe stay for a long time and then go. They leave. And they don't go anywhere else. They don't come back and they don't find a Bible-believing, preaching church. This is true, what Spurgeon says. It's, it's a hard thing for us to watch, isn't it? But it happens in every church. And where there is the faithful preaching of the Bible, people will come and people will go. Some just don't want to take the truth as seriously as they should. And some don't want to take the truth to heart and devote themselves fully to it. They don't want to live by the truth. But I want you to notice that when we come to verse 67, that Jesus isn't defeated by this. And, and neither should we be defeated by this. We should be ready for it and, and ready for those emotions. Yes, we, we grieve when people leave and don't come back or when they wander away slowly. We grieve over that and we want them to stay and we reach out to them. We try to bring them back into the church to hear and believe in who Jesus is. But Jesus didn't allow himself to be defeated by those who turned away. And we shouldn't allow ourselves to be defeated by those who turn away either. Jesus doesn't speak of them here, in fact. In this passage, these closing verses of chapter 6, he turns his attention to the twelve, those whom he had chosen to follow him, whom he had chosen. And we don't know this, but it may be that they are the only ones who remain. I don't know that to be, but it's possible that they're the only ones still with him. It may be that uh, during this encounter that Jesus is simply alone with them when he's speaking to them in verse 67. And he says, do you want to go away as well? What a question. As the disciples see people who go away because they don't want to believe what Jesus is saying, Jesus turns to them and says, do you want to go away as well? And Jesus said this, because there were people who did not believe 
And there were many who turned back, as we see here, and no longer walked with Jesus when he spoke to them the very words that were spirit and life, which we've seen here in chapter 6. So, so now he turns to the twelve, and he asks the question in a way that, uh, from what we understand from the original languages, he's asking this question in a way that expects a negative answer. He's expecting them to answer negatively. We don't see that very clearly in some of our English translations. In fact, my favorite is the, the English Standard Version, which I preach from and read from to you, um, but I read a lot of other translations, and the ESV actually doesn't, doesn't quite show that, that, um, that sense that this is actually expecting a negative answer. In fact, the New International Version, the NIV, makes this more clear when in verse 67 it puts it like this, you do not want to leave too, do you? <laughs> you do not want to leave too, do you? That's the idea in the original language. Jesus knows. You see, Jesus knows their hearts, and Jesus knows whether they are truly devoted to him or not. He knows of their faith in him, and he knows that 11 of them have believed in him and that one of them has not, and that's clear by what we see in verse 70. So Jesus isn't asking because he's wondering where their devotion lies. He's not asking for his own sake. I think Jesus is asking for their sake. That's why I asked you the question I did at the beginning of the message this morning. Would you say, if someone asked you, that you are fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not asking, uh, like Jesus does here uh, with the disciples, he, he wasn't asking to find out whether they're devoted. He was asking for their sake, so that they would examine their hearts, that they would examine their attitude toward Christ. And I think Jesus is asking the question to make it clear that, that they aren't there against their will. They're not there. They're not being forced to be there against their will. Yes, he chose them, but... They must choose to follow him. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? And we've talked a lot about this in chapter 6, that God draws unbelievers to himself. And, and I've challenged you that if you thought that you came to Christ and, had, and you gave your life to Christ, it's actually the other way around, that God was drawing you to himself first. And he was making you his own before you realized it. It's okay if you think you came to Christ and had faith in Christ, but you need to realize the scriptures teach that, that he draws you to himself and, and so he's speaking to the disciples here, and he's making it clear that they're not here against their will. They need to choose to follow him. That's what we're called to do. God draws us to himself, but we also must choose to obey. We must also choose to devote ourselves wholeheartedly to following Christ. He's not going to twist our arms. He's not going to force us to follow him. And it's clear here that not all of them would follow. Judas would remain with them. He would be with them for a while. It would look as though he were following Jesus. Even the disciples were fooled by this. They, they had Judas with them, and they kept thinking he was a wholehearted follower of Christ. But in the end, it would be clear that he never truly believed in Jesus' words. Judas never trusted in Jesus. He, he was never fully devoted to following the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, he would walk away just as those we saw earlier who walked away because they could not and they would not believe in Jesus as their Savior. Judas would not believe in Jesus as his Savior. He would betray him. 
This question that Jesus gives is also a question for each of you. It's why I started as I did. You do not want to leave too, do you? As the NIV says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Are you following Christ? Have you fully devoted your life to being lived for God's glory in all that you do and say, in all of, all of your work, in all of the business uh, transactions you make, in all the, the relationships you have, the conversations you have, in your thought life? You do not, do not want to leave too, do you? As, as Jesus says, when others are turning from Jesus and and there are people all around us in this world in which we live, and some people you may know personally who've turned away from Christ. When others are turning from Jesus, will you also turn from Him? Or will you remain faithful to following Christ? Or will you be challenged by words like the ones that we see here in the text today to cling closer to the Lord Jesus Christ because of a question like this, will you take steps in your life to examine your heart and make sure that you are truly walking with Christ faithfully in all of your life? I think the question that Jesus asked is meant to strengthen them in their walk with Him, to challenge them to keep growing, to keep a close account on their walk, their spiritual life. And so I think the question that Jesus asks is meant to strengthen them in their faith, strengthen them in their resolve to abide with him in faith and obedience. This is also a question that's here to strengthen your resolve to follow Christ. God put this in his word so that you would have this this morning to hear and be reminded of and read for yourself and take to heart personally. How are believers to be strengthened in their resolve to follow Christ? Let me give you a passage that I think is very helpful. In Galatians 5 and verse 16, Paul puts the call to follow Jesus Christ faithfully this way. Galatians 5:16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And I was thinking about this this morning in our Sunday school class, John chapter, uh, actually 3rd John, <laughs> we joked about that, 3rd uh, John chapter 1, there's only one, 3rd uh, John and verse 4 also points to this. It stood out to me as we read it in the Sunday school hour, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Walking by the Spirit, with the Spirit of God at work in you, it's what God does when He saves you. He gives you His Spirit. He puts His Spirit in you to dwell in you. And then when you put yourself in the Word, the Spirit uses the Word to convict you of sin and to encourage you in your faith and help you to walk with Him so that others might look at your life, as we see in Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Are you walking in the truth? Are you wholeheartedly devoted to following Jesus Christ, living by the Spirit, as Galatians 5.16 says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you think of walking by the Spirit, it means yielding to the Spirit of Christ at work in you. It means yielding to Him, wanting His will to be done in your life over your will. It means yielding to the Spirit of Christ 
Yielding to His work in you as a believer in Jesus Christ, it means obeying the commands of Christ, which you find in God's Word. Later in Galatians 5, verse 17, the next verse, Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The point here is to keep you from doing the things that you want to do that are sinful, that are opposed to the Spirit, that are opposed to the Word of God. It's not that you can't do anything that you want to do, anything that you want to do. It's that you shouldn't be doing the things that God doesn't say are the things you should be doing. You, you should not be doing things that are dishonorable. The things the Scriptures make clear are sin. And how do you do that? Because, because the flesh is drawing you into sin, and yet the Spirit draws you into life, new life with Christ, and, and to walk by faith and walk by obedience and to walk by the Spirit. And so when you look around and you see people turning away from the gospel and turning away from faith in Jesus, turning away from the truth of the Bible, will you instead turn back to the truth of the Bible and back to walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit as you put yourself into the Word and put the Word into you? Will you refuse to walk away I pray that for us as a church, no matter what the world around us does, no, no matter what any other church in the community does, no matter what other, any other pastor does or any other uh, leader in any church does, even, even in this church, if I should walk away from the faith, will you or will you remain and follow Christ? If you were to walk away from the faith, if, if a dear friend in, in this church walked away from the faith, will you remain with Christ? Will you keep following him? Are you devoted to doing that? Are you resolved to do that by, by God's grace and with God's help? You need God's help for that. You need to walk by the Spirit. That's, that's what we hear there in Galatians. And if you want to walk by the Spirit, you must cling to Jesus Christ. You must realize he's the only answer for true joy in life. True faith in him will bring true joy in the Lord. And you must cling to His Word. He has given you His Word so that you will have the wisdom and knowledge and understanding to walk by faith and walk by the Spirit. And you need to yield to the power of the Spirit at work in you. You, you ought not resist the Spirit. When the Spirit brings back to you the truths of the Scriptures, you should not push them aside. You need to yield to the power of the Spirit at work in you, even though many around you may not go with you. May it be true of us that our answer to the question Jesus asks is the same as Peter's. Wouldn't it be great if all of us could say with Peter what he said to Jesus? This is a wonderful reply to Jesus' question. Look at verses 68 and 69 again. I really love this. A wonderful answer. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? It wasn't like he was asking he was making a statement, a declaration. There's nowhere else. We know that here. Look at it. To whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He's almost 100% right. He said, we have believed. We'll talk about this. 
Remember the 12, 11 of them had believed. But there's a rich truth here. And we ought not miss it. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Have you reached that conclusion yourself? There's nowhere else to go. We must follow Christ, no matter what, come what may, no matter what the world does to us, no matter what my friends say about Christ, no matter what, whether those whom I love and, and long to, to walk along with, beside, with Christ, even if they go away, I'm going to remain with Christ because there's nowhere else to go. Have you reached that conclusion yourself? Lord, to whom shall we go, Peter says. Peter's speaking for the twelve here. And he points to a profound truth. They've heard from Jesus what we've seen here in John's Gospel already. They've they've heard Jesus' teaching. Where else is there to go when you're already following and being taught by the One who is the Messiah who takes away the sin of the world, as John one twenty nine says. Where else is there to go when you're already with the one who is the bread of life? As we've seen here in John 6. And Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. How foolish it would be for us to look anywhere else for anything better than what Jesus offers. Minister and Bible commentator John Gill Said it, will, uh, said it very well when he wrote this over 200 years ago. Speaking of Peter's answer here, he says, So it is with all sensible sinners and true believers who see there is no other to go to for life and salvation but Christ. There is no other Savior but Christ to look to No other mediator between God and man to make use of. No other physician of value for diseased and sin-sick souls to apply unto. No other fountain but his blood for polluted souls to be washed in and be cleansed. No other city of refuge or stronghold for souls sensible of danger to flee unto and be safe. No other to come to as the bread of life where hungry souls may be fed. No other place of rest for those that are weary and heavy laden. Nor is there any other where there is plenty of all grace and security from every enemy enemy as in him and therefore to whom can they have recourse but unto him are you with Peter this is the best place to be in your faith it's the best place to be in your faith Lord to whom shall we go You have the words of eternal life. Do you realize that? Have you concluded that? Have you turned to Christ in faith? And are you being reminded today that this is the best place to be with this kind of attitude? It was back in verse 40 that we learned from Jesus, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on that last day. And then in verse 63, we learn from Jesus that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. And Jesus is the one of whom Acts 4.12 speaks when it says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no better place to be than with Jesus. For Jesus Christ has the words of eternal life. And when you agree with Peter, this will be the declaration of your lips. This will be the cry of your heart and soul. Lord, to whom shall we turn? You have the words of eternal life. And you will acknowledge that you too have believed and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, as we saw in verse 69. Now I want you to know what happens next as Jesus declares that not all will follow him. Remember I said Peter is almost 100% correct in what he said. But he said we have believed, speaking for the twelve. And Jesus could not let that go without dealing with it. Note what happens next as Jesus declares that not all will follow him. Verses 70 and 71, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I pointed to this last week, and I'll remind you today that even as hard as it is for us when we see people come and go who seem to show a flicker of life and then wander away from the truth, that's heartbreaking. And sometimes we, we want to say, what did we do wrong? Was this our fault? And I would say we ought to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to be correct in our theology, in our doctrine, in the way that we practice as believers in the church and as, as the way we, we follow Christ as a church. We, we ought to do everything we can to do things correctly. But there are times when you can't take the blame when people refuse to believe. Even Jesus had one amongst the twelve whom he had chosen who refused to believe. So Jesus knows the heart of man. He can see it here in verses 70 and 71. Jesus knows that one of the twelve is, as its meaning is in the Greek, a slanderer or a false accuser. Judas will slander Jesus. He will falsely accuse him. Now, we, we, we know this. We need to back up and say, but, you know, realizing this, this was all part of God's plan. Judas was part of God's plan. The Father knew. The Father knew and would use Judas as a key part of taking the Savior to the cross. Bible commentator D.A. Carson notes that the supreme adversary of God, that Satan, so operates behind failing human beings that his malice becomes theirs. So the malice of Satan became the malice of Judas. And Judas turned on Jesus. He would turn on Jesus, and Jesus knew that this would take place. And no doubt Jesus is thankful for Peter's declaration of faith that he says, and we believe, thinking of all the twelve, and yet he cannot let Peter's speaking for all 12 of them go unchecked. 
It was Jesus himself who had called them, and yet not all of them had true faith in him. Nothing escapes Jesus. Nothing is out of the sight of Jesus. And so I turn to you this morning, and I say the question for you today is this. Since nothing escapes Jesus, he knows your answer. He knows your heart. But do you know your heart? I would say this, will you be like the people who left Jesus after hearing his words? Will you be like the religious leaders whom Jesus admonished back in chapter 5 saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life? Will you be like those? Or will you declare your allegiance Will you align yourself with Christ and declare your allegiance to Jesus Christ no matter what anyone else does? Will you devote yourself to following Christ wholeheartedly no matter what? And say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God.